Hi! Thanks so much for stopping by for this episode of Magnificent Whiskers. We got an opportunity to sit down and discuss all things poutine, all things The Purge, and uh, all things podcasts with a fellow that I met on Twitter and invited him to join the show. We had a really wonderful time talking with Jesse. Uh, I did want to let you know that toward the end of the episode, there is a little bit of wonkiness with the audio. However, the content was just too good to just remove, and uh, there wasn't really an opportunity for a re-record, so I left it in there. So if it sounds a little strange to you, that's probably why. Regardless, I'm extremely confident that you're going to enjoy this episode, and I am excited for you to be here today, and I'm excited for you to uh, hit us with your feedback, let us know what you think about this, and if you'd like to have Jesse back on with us, because I know we would love to talk to him again. So on that note, please enjoy this episode of Magnificent Whiskers. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Magnificent Whiskers. Today, I got lucky enough to nail Colby down so that he could do this episode with me. Colby, say hello. Hello, everyone. And keeping in the theme for this season, we also picked up, uh, this time I grabbed somebody, almost like a hitchhiker off of Twitter. Uh, So (laughs) say hello to Jesse. Hi, I'm Jesse Boros. So Jesse and I actually run in a very similar Venn diagram of Twitter friends. and I'm not, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't even remember exactly where I picked you up, but I noticed that, I, that you had said that a goal for yourself was for the following year to get some more interviews in and to be a guest on more podcasts. And I said, Jesse, why wait? <laughs> yeah, and I, I do appreciate that. So um, would you like me to introduce myself, I guess, more fully? Hell yeah, do it. Okay, so I'm Jesse Boros. I'm co-host of the podcast DMs of Vancouver on the Cave Goblin Network, which is a sort of socialist uh, podcast collective up here in Vancouver. Um, and, that sounds uh, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Um, the guy, the, the couple who founded it kind of reached out to us. Like we'd already been doing our show for a year and reached out to us and we were like, okay, so what's involved in this network? They're like, well, you still own everything. And basically we're just trying to support each other's shows. So like more people will hear about them and listen to them. And okay, it's so, so it's great. it's more of a collective than, say, an actual controlling company. Exactly. Gotcha. I love it. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Well, I'm going to have you plug the shit out of your own show again toward the end of the episode here. And, of course, I'm going to get a link or so off of you so we can put it in the show notes because I want everybody to go and listen to what you do as well. Uh, but for anybody else who's listened to the show before, uh, what we'd like to start these these guest spots off with are some get to know you questions. And you'll notice at the beginning of Magnificent Whiskers, these questions were asked of Colby, Amy, and myself. Um, And so we're going to go ahead and just start firing those off. I just want you to give me the answer that first comes to mind, and then you can decide if you want to unpack it at all for us. Okay. Perfect. All right. So first question is vampire or werewolf? You know, like I, I think that I more closely resemble werewolf, but I prefer vampire. Okay. All right. And do you have any reason why you prefer the vampire? Uh, honestly, I just think their mythology is a lot more interesting and in that you can do a lot more different things with them narratively. Okay. I, sim- I sympathize on both aspects of those. <laughs> I love it. Uh, how about Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. All right. Anything just to unpack? Right. Not really. Uh, like Star Trek was not a thing I watched a lot when I was younger and like I have a hard time breaking, or sorry, Star Trek was not a thing I watched a lot when I was younger and I have a hard time breaking into it now. I know a bunch of people who really love it and I love a bunch of their ideas behind it, but I just can't, can't get into the show. Yeah. I'm actually hundred percent with you. I mean, for me, as I've said before, uh, star Wars, I'm, I'm a little bit more into the mysticism side of the whole thing versus how star Trek tries to be a little bit more literal for lack of a better phrase. Much um, more hard, much more hard sci-fi than soft sci-fi. Yeah. I like, I like soft cuddly things. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, we may have talked about this on the show or just personally before, but uh, Star Wars isn't is kind of not sci-fi. It's more science fantasy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm with that. Because because uh, it when you break it down to its components, it's literally a uh, a stock fantasy coming of age story. A young man who lives on a farm, raised by not his parents. Uh, meets an old mystic man who reveals that he has magic powers, gives him a magic sword, his family gets killed, and he goes off to master his powers and fight the enemy's Black Knight 
and save the princess while killing the evil wizard. You, you actually literally just said something about this in the last episode, because as soon as you said that, I piped up and said, ah, 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 he didn't kill the wizard. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> but yes, it, it, it does break down to a very, uh, a very, for, yeah, a, a very core arc for it's got a similar fantasy. outline. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which a lot of stories do, but that goes back to the monomyth and things like that, which yeah. I, I could talk about for hours. Yeah. And like the original Star Wars movie was very intentionally following Joseph Campbell's writings on the hero's journey, which yeah. is that cycle you basically went over. Yeah. Uh, though as, I think as well as, uh, as well as going, uh, it drew a lot from Westerns and um, Japanese samurai films. There oh, was exactly. A lot of, it was a lot of really interesting influence in star wars oh yeah it's you know it's it's interesting because like i watched a lot of star wars as a kid because my brother made me watch it but i never i didn't start to get really into it and until kind of the more recent revival of the series in which case i'm like oh right this is all really interesting in a lot of ways yeah i love it okay so next question is football or football uh football um (laughs) But uh, I'm not really much of a sports guy, but my dad is Swiss and we played a lot of foosball and that's like really the closest to okay. that. <laughs> I got you. Uh, do you have a preference for musicals or straight plays or neither? Um, well, that's that's tough. Um, I, I think I like musicals better mostly because I'm, I'm more able to like engage with them outside of being in a theater if I don't have that opportunity. Okay. That's fair you can like sing the songs of a musical and get in touch with it, but it's hard to just break into a Shakespearean soliloquy in the middle of Walmart. Yeah. Like I can know everything about Hamilton and the entire story from the songs that are available to me without, Mm. you know, having to have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Nineties rap or current rap? Current rap though. I mean, I'm not heavily into either, but like, I really like some of the current kind of indie hip hop stuff that's going on. Like I love the doom tree collective and like Dessa and POS and all those guys. Okay. All right. And do you know what Hogwarts house you belong to? So according to the internet, it's Slytherin, but according to me, it's Hufflepuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Not, not the most common combination. I agree. Do you uh, know when you say according to the internet, what part of the internet did you take the Pottermore? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was designed by the queen herself. Yeah, but like, if you look at J.K. Rowling's tweets about the universe in the last few years, I think maybe she she didn't need to keep on elaborating. (laughs) Well, I mean, she supposedly has a gigantic library filled with tomes that are just every character that's ever been mentioned, their backstory, and (laughs) where that sprawls too. So seems a little fantastical, but we are talking about the author of Harry Potter. So Uh, Marvel or DC? Marvel. Marvel, okay. And uh, is that just across the board, or is it only movies? You know, it's across the board. When I started getting into, like, actually actively reading comics as they were coming out, which was maybe six or seven years ago now, uh, Marvel was the one I kept going back to, and, like, that's where me and my wife kind of pulled the most books and stuff like that. So it's Marvel. I prefer the Marvel movies largely, too. Um, And, I I don't know, I I love the X-Men and stuff like that, and I just... DC has some cool stuff, but I'm getting a lot more sick of a lot of their stuff as I get older. Okay. If I can ask, because this is, uh, I, I don't follow any particular series myself, but I love the comic fandom. I love the environment. Uh, is there anything interesting that's on your pull list right now that you're particularly like really digging into? You know, it's, it's interesting because, like, since I've started doing podcasting stuff more and more often and, like, since I joined the network, I'm involved in more stuff, I'm finding less time to, like, sit down and actually read my pull list. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's also shrunk because uh, my wife is a comic artist, it, like, oh. in her spare time. Not, like, she hasn't done any big books or anything like that, but anthologies. Has she, has she been paid for any of them? Oh, yes. And she yes. is a professional comic artist, and that's yes. amazing. Um, so she, um, so like I, at this point, know people who have written X-Men books that I am like that's amazing. friends with, which is that's a weird so cool. thing. That's so cool. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we don't have like, I don't even remember what's on our pull list right now because we've been slowly kind of whittling it down and then spending more money on actually going to conventions or uh... buying buying books that people we know have made. Um, yeah, it, 
Okay. That that becomes an interesting thing when you start getting really involved in like the indie scene is you start getting less and less of the traditional books. Oh yeah. And like a lot of the problem with both the big two kind of superhero companies is it's really it can be really hard to get into and stay on top of what's going on because they do so many weird crossovers and stuff. Yeah. Um event burnout is a thing and it's been getting really bad the last few years. Yeah. The the main thing I think I want to do going forward is start putting aside enough money to get a Marvel Unlimited subscription and just like read through backlogs of mostly the X-Men and maybe Thor. But yeah. like it's it's tough cuz like up in Canada it's like I think 15 bucks a month or something like that and I don't know how much time it actually put towards doing it so it's it's a whole I'm- budget analysis thing 15 bucks a month though if you consider you know how much you spend on a pull list can save you a lot of money oh it's it's a great price but it's more for the amount of like how much i'll actually interact with it that's fair because like so i i spend all eight hours or eight and a half hours i'm at work every day listening to podcasts the whole time Mm. and then Somehow, magically, I spent most of the rest of the day also listening to podcasts. <laughs> um, so it's like I I have a hard time putting aside the time to read stuff a lot of the time. Um, but uh, if I'm going to say one thing, um, Giant Days, which was an ongoing uh, series just concluded or has like one last kind of one-off issue left. Um, and I would really recommend, recommend that. It is not a superhero comic in the least. Um, if you're familiar with the webcomic Scary Go Round or Bad Machinery, it's from the guy who wrote that. Okay. Um, and it's basically about three young women going off to university together in England uh, and their kind of their time in university. And it's just ended with their graduation. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah, that is really cool. Okay. Would you prefer a staycation or a vacation? <sighs> oh, God. Probably a vacation at this point. With, with the assumption that I can actually afford one. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of our vacations are work vacations because we're putting time aside to like go down to Portland or Seattle to do comic conventions. Okay. And it's like, you know, I'm helping my wife run her table most of the time. Or if I'm not doing that, I'm like acting as a gopher to like get her food and like watch the table while she go catches up with someone and all those kind of things. Oh, so well- it's... um. Well, on that note, um, what do what do you do for a profession? Uh, um, your wife, if your wife works as a comic artist. Yeah. Well, so a comic artist is almost like her kind of side job. She okay. works in like a, a label making company, okay. primarily. So um, doing design work and things like that. Sort of. It's it's very technical, and I don't think I fully understand it. But basically, she makes sure that the designs that are sent to them are actually put together properly. Gotcha. All right. Uh, um, I like how job... like, it's so technical. Here's a two sentence description. Uh, at, at the at the same time, that can really matter. Like those technical distinctions can yes, be the difference between you know you know dozens of thousands of dollars in a salary and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, My job, I'm an assistant dental technician, which means I usually use a small hand burr and trim the excess stone off of a model of people's teeth so we can make crowns for it. Okay. It is not, it is a job that I have found out is more interesting sounding than it actually is. Um, (laughs) It's really quite dull, but I do get to listen to podcasts the whole time. So that kind of makes it okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, on that note, by the way, not to go too far back, but um, are you familiar with the, the Wolverine, the long night show? I've heard about it. I haven't listened to it yet. Because that one, I understand there's a lot of sound design and I want to be able to like listen to it properly. And at work, oh, there's yes. a lot of noise and suction and stuff going on. Uh, though I honestly haven't heard amazing things about it. Okay, so something that well, you're, you're, learn, so you're about to. You're going to learn really quickly about me is that I'm a hype man for everything. So two very dis- important distinctions. One, it's almost impossible for me to find something that I dislike. Two, if I tell you something is bad, you should run away screaming from it. Yeah, um, I have a friend named Chad who is exactly like that. <laughs> I love Chad already, and I've never even met him. So I got to tell you, Chad is great. Chad Wolverine: is the, best. the Long Night was part of the first thing that got me into podcasts and audio dramas in general. 
Okay. So Wolverine the Long Night led to me discovering the Bright Sessions. Hell yeah. Right? Uh, by the way, just got the uh, the Infinite Noise by Lauren Shippen, and I've been reading through that, and it's spectacular. Oh, I didn't know Lauren Shippen had a book. I'm going to have to look into oh, that. This is just the beginning, my friend. She's continuing. She's going deeper into all of the stories for everyone. So the first one, the Infinite Noise, is about Caleb and Adam. I do like Caleb and Adam. And then, of course, there will be one a little while later about Damien, and uh, she's going to do dives into like all of the characters to be able to continue... Um, to continue the story. I'm a little annoyed by the way. So I'm going to just derail this entire thing. Since you're into the bright sessions, you can kind of jump in on this with me really quick. Um, I, I got to say, we'll, as, we will put a mark in for skipping spoilers. Yeah. Right. No, 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 no. It's not that at all. Um, but as an, as an indie podcaster, right. You're kind of, you're part of a network presently. So I'm really curious about your take on this whole situation. So you're aware that as a uh, sequel show, there is the AM archives that, that is out right now. Were you aware of that? Yeah, I listened to the first episode, I think. Of course you did, because you don't have a Luminary subscription, right? Exactly. Okay, so I gotta say, and I'm open to the fact that this just might be me not fully understanding the complexities behind this situation. Also, as an addendum, if one of my uh, shows that I'm presently writing gets picked up by somebody like Luminary that has a paywall and they're willing to pay me to put the show on there, I may become the biggest hypocrite in the world about what I'm about to say, but I got to say my ass is a little chapped. I got pulled in to this spectacular show and I was allowed to have it for free. And now I can't listen to any of it without paying for it. And I'm just I, curious where you land on that whole thing. Cause for me, I like the idea of getting the content, right? And then if I want to pay for Patreon, I get additional content, but there being a paywall, I think sets an extremely dangerous precedent for indie, for indie creators and potentially screws us all. Yeah. So like, I don't know, I'm torn about this. Cause like, I know how hard it can be to make money. Like we, we don't really make very much in the way of money. We've got a Patreon for the network and I think we make like 30 bucks a month. Okay. Uh, um, but like, and that's over, that's with eight people. And like most of that, we just put into other backing, other creators we like on Patreon. <laughs> um, that's, but like, that's, a, that's a very noble use of that money. I agree. Uh, yes. Uh, to be fair, it is also partially for research purposes. <laughs> that, um, that's important. Yes. Um, it's an but, investment. It, exactly. Um, but like, so I understand how hard it can be like making money with shows. Like, and it's like, it can be a lot and audio fiction, especially like takes a lot of work. Um, do you, are you guys familiar with um, Fool and Scholar Productions? I'm actually not. Okay. They make the white vault. They oh. make uh, yeah. Um, so when we were down at Rose city a couple of weeks ago for comic con, we were sitting beside Travis Vangroff, who is the guy who does most of the audio engineering. He's right. half of Fool and Scholar Productions. Um, and I've had him on my show before actually as well, but he's um, like, they have just gone full, like full-time podcasters. They've gotten enough backers on Patreon. Um, that, which is amazing. amazing. Like, congratulations yeah. to them. It's yeah. great news. They make like, when you do the math and kind of adjust it down, they're making about minimum wage um, and they're working like every, I think he said every minute is like a few hours of work. Yeah. Or every 10 seconds is, is like an hour or two of work. It's, wow. it's a lot of work. So like, I can't fault a creator for like wanting to take extra money to be able to like set aside the time to make that. Like I, I really can't fault them because like audio fiction is so much work. And you know, if she wants to also pay her voice actors and all that stuff, that, that just might have to be a thing she does. Yeah. yeah. I totally respect that. Okay, so, but then also there are other networks that may have went with the show that don't just put up the paywall. I guess my issue is less with Lauren because like, good for her. She yeah. took a great opportunity and I, I definitely pat her on the back for that. Do what works for you, great. I think my bigger issue is with Luminary in general. Like that idealism, that business structure, I think that's the thing that really bothers me is, is that preventative paywall in order to access the content is, is really upsetting. And I mean, they picked a good show to do it with because the AM archives had 
a huge following from the bright sessions and i'm sure that they've had tons of people pay to be able to get in and listen listen to that show i know for damn sure i've thought about it (laughs) i i think that's an internal question with any kind of created content though like yes, the, but podcasting the, is getting into this area, right? We're in yes. the we're in the moment. We're in but the I, moment to see where this whole thing is going to go. And right now, Magnificent and it's Whiskers becoming Netflix essentially. It, it is. Yeah. Well, they're trying to make it like Netflix. Yeah. And right now, Magnificent Whiskers, this show that we're making right now, the barrier to entry for us to be able to put this out there, it costs us nothing. And really. Once we begin to put more effort into this thing, which we've been discussing doing, making it yes. less of a hobby, I think that we're going to see a return on that investment because there's no barrier to entry and because people can get into our show for free and then support us if they want. But, but doing so at a level to which we can replace our incomes with the production of this show is a fucking lot. <laughs> it is a fucking lot. And I'm not saying that it isn't. And I, I'm 100% in support of joining up with the company. If somebody knocked on, like if somebody sent me an email, Colby, and was like, your, your guys' show is baller. We want to get it on here. We're going to pay you a salary. Like this is what's going to happen. And okay, it, great. I'm yeah, not saying it was saying enough, done. It. My yeah. problem is that we're in the moment that decides how podcasting is going to work for, you know, for the next forever. And- I, when we begin to put too much weight behind companies that put up that paywall, once one does it and does it successfully, then that, that, why wouldn't everybody else do it? Well, should they not? That's the question. Because there will always be content like Magnificent Whiskers here that isn't behind a paywall, that is entry-level creator content and things like that. I don't think there will be. I think that I, once this becomes more of an institution, I don't think it's going to be as possible to do it because then places like Anchor, which is what we're going to be using to launch this, mm-hmm. are going to start charging people. And once once it starts costing money to create this content, we're going to lose so many creators. I, I understand, but I think there will always be a resource for that entry-level content. In the same way that... We'll in the same way that there are, you know, multi-channel networks that uh, produce large amounts of YouTube content or work with creators to help them create it, that doesn't mean that there aren't still independent YouTube channels creating their own content. Just like right, any but other but you can production. still access those premium channels, can't you? Yes, you can access premium channels or go on to the free content channels still. But what I'm saying is even for those premium channels, you have to pay for those? Uh, for some of them, YouTube Red didn't make all of YouTube go away. Well, okay. I guess that's fair. Yeah, I don't it's, know. I just... You know, it is an interesting question about, like, where the future of this is going. I don't think all podcast, Like, I do think the barrier for podcasting will continue to be low. Um, because, honestly, even if, say, all of the big providers get caught up and put stuff behind paywalls, someone's going to make a new one. And it's going to be, you know, open source or whatever. Shows might not get as big. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I, I went into making my show not expecting that we would really make any money for it. I went into making it because it's the thing I enjoy talking about. Um, I, I went into it because it gives me a tangible excuse to talk to my best friend <laughs> and <laughs> have other people listen to it. Yeah. And the fact that we've made like what, 65 cents so far? Oh no, we're up over <laughs> two bucks now, man. Oh my God. I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, like there, there's clearly, if, if we were doing it just for the money, we made a poor short-term investment opportunity. It's yeah. true. Uh, but I, I, think, I think that this aspect of it is very interesting because like a lot of newer creative industries and outlets, things going from free to paid is always a big change. Uh, a similar thing happened over the last few years with the webcomics industry. Webcomics oh, yeah. went from being something that people did completely for free because they enjoyed it to, okay, if you want me to do this, you need to pay me because I have another job. Wow, people are willing to pay me for it? Fine, I'll do it full time. And then more and more people started to get into the industry to do just that, to make money and to eventually have their products be monetized. And there is still a barrier. I've seen some incredible podcasts, uh, Goblins, for instance, which I know that you, Jeremy, are a huge fan of. I think you meant webcomic. 
what did I say? You said podcast. Yeah. Uh, web comics that I'm a huge fan of. Goblins in particular is one that I know for a fact. I adore uh, it. Has, it's incredible. It is, is Goblin still running? Yeah. It is. Uh, they're currently making an animated show about it. Oh, hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Ellie, Ellie um, is spectacular. Yes. Uh, but there is a large community that actively avoids and refuses to uh, patronize the webcomic, even read it, because uh, Ellie has in the past made requests for monetary donations uh, when they were originally purchasing their home. I remember there was uh, a small campaign where they were just like, okay, look, my wife and I can't buy a house if we don't get some help. If you guys want to, I'm running this special fundraising campaign. Donate if you can. But that turned so many people off that they never read it again. Well, I mean, I think you're going to get that in those situations anywhere, regardless of the context. So I mean, I see the point that you're making, but I just people, shitty people are always going to be shitty and they're going to find a reason to be shitty. Like that's absolutely. But I I think that any, any industry that is burgeoning in its economic viability for content creators has that, that initial barrier. And sometimes that can last for a very long time as people are adjusting to that, especially people who were around for its initial inception. Yeah, and honestly, like there are growing pains in anything that's developing. Um, yeah. I, I also feel like if podcasts were ever gonna like fully go behind a paywall, I think that might have already that would have already happened by now. Cause like podcasts have been around for a long time, y'all, and they've been big for a while. I agree. Um uh, so like I don't think there's ever gonna be I don't think everything is going to end up behind a paywall someday. I like, like, I think take maximum fun, for example, I think those people get enough money from those donations to keep that network going and keep paying everybody as long as they're supplementing with other stuff that they're never going to need to do that. I understand that. Uh, we've taken a pretty large tangent here, but we <laughs> w- would we want to get back to the questions? Yeah, I was headed back as soon as he finished his comment there. Uh, so we're back to uh, what's your favorite dinosaur? Oh, so this, like dinosaurs is a thing where I'm lacking. Like I know what I see in like that's fine and like shows and stuff. But what is it? Is it Ankylosaurus that has like all the armor along its back and the like and the big club tail? tail? Yep, yeah. Ankylosaurus. That's <laughs> one of my favorites as well. Nice. Awesome. Uh, and uh, so here's a big one. And I mean, we may never even get to the topic depending on how you answer this question. So just strap in. Do you believe in aliens? Uh, I believe that statistically it's very likely that they exist. I don't know if they've come to earth. I don't really have an opinion on that. Um, I don't know that why they would want anything to do with us if they could get here. Maybe Fair we're enough. fascinating. I mean, I, I think that if they had the, the tech to get out here and we were fascinating, they could study us from a distance. Maybe Fair grab enough. a couple okay, of I us. Like that idea. <laughs> All right. Well, that actually concludes the questions then. Um, so I really, uh, you know, I saw some potential where that could have exploded and then it didn't. So great job avoiding that <laughs> landmine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so... I decided a little bit earlier um, and shared this with Jesse that uh, what I wanted to talk tonight about with it being the spooky month and all is the concept more than the actual films themselves. But I wanted to discuss the concept of the purge and just spend some time talking about um, our thoughts in general and then also how we might respond if we lived in that dystopian universe. Now, Our, if I'm not mistaken, none of us have seen these films. Is that correct? <laughs> I have seen I have seen the first one. I have seen most of the second. I have not seen the additional ones oh. or the series that I believe is either being developed or is out. You've yeah, watched but, 150% more than I have. Yeah. Okay. I've uh, I've done some research and the series, the first season of it is complete and like has okay. been aired. Gotcha. Uh I, have you seen the movies at all? I have not. I, uh, they're, well, they're not um, my thing. <laughs> uh, they're not mine either, uh, but they are on at my job occasionally, and so I watch them secondhand. What? Uh, yeah, it, especially during uh, during Halloween, any kind of like horror channels that are on or movies like that, yeah, they're on. Oh. A- action movies, horror movies, all kinds of stuff can be on, depending on what's put on TVs. Oh yeah, uh, we uh, I've 
absolutely seen like the sci-fi horror movies on and uh, Friday the 13th and like old, like old horror, like uh, Stephen King. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I seem really, really shocked because of where Colby works. Yes, and, uh, and that, that's the thing. Like he just, he works with individuals whom I would have thought would not, you know. Oh no. Oh no. Some, some of the people I work with love that. Okay. Love it. All right. So, <laughs> sorry i guess that one just uh, made my head a little fuzzy there uh so i don't know like for me part of the reason i thought this would be really interesting to bring up outside of the obvious being that it would be fun to kind of discuss would we be the people who try to hide or would we be the people who would participate and then if there's no laws for a single night what i mean what do you do what are the things that you actively participate in again just kind of giving it a uh, top level thought i think okay. that the the philosophical implications, psychological implications behind the idea that this would be appealing in general and the fact that the movies and now television show seem to have been so successful, I think is a bit of a commentary on our society as a whole. And that probably goes without saying. Uh, I will say uh, the directions that the movies takes, the first one was very, very much what the premise of them sort of says. It is, you know, on this night where people can do anything, some people do terrible things. Uh, most people, in fact, do terrible things. And it's just watching it through the lens of one family and one household dealing with the night. Uh, but the later ones actually do start to dig into a lot of the more socio-political aspects of what something like The Purge would actually mean and how it would play out and what it would be used like as a socio-political tool. Uh, and some of the later ones even go to into like it, the initiation that led to the purge and why it happened and what the goals were for people who initiated it. It got, it gets pretty interesting. Yeah. So the, I think the most interesting thing about the purge for me is like, I watch movie reviews often for like films I never planning to see. Was that like, I, I do it myself. Yeah. The, the people who are making these, and I don't know if they're quite succeeding in it through the execution of the movies and like how they kind of glorify the violence in it. But like, I think they're definitely kind of coming at it from a progressive angle where like the government that put it into place is essentially a fascist government. Um, yeah. And they are using the purge as a tool to uh, whittle down the uh, poor population. Yes. Oh, uh, really? Is that what? Yeah. Is that the idea? Yes. Hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. They they use it as a tool. Specifically, the poorer population. Yeah, because the poor the people poor are the ones and who people aren't people of color. Yeah. Poor people and people of color, disenfranchised groups, are the ones who don't have the resources to protect themselves during the purge. And a, at least the philosophy for the people initiating it was: well, they're the ones who need the most stuff and are going to use this the most to enact violence against each other and try to rob each other. So we can then use that as a tool to, uh, to have them wipe each other out. And then there's less of a burden on us, but it didn't work that way. They, yeah. uh, they did it the first time. And instead people just stayed the fucking side cause no one wanted to deal with it. Uh, cause so, nobody wanted to fucking yeah. die. So spoilers for the later purge movies. What happens is they start running, um, underground uh like deep state uh government funded uh military military operations so they're like uh what's the uh militias they're they're like paying and running militias that during the purge will go out and target uh minority groups and uh the homeless and things like that and use them and eliminate them themselves under the guise of being part of the purge, but it's actually a deep military and uh, political tool to eliminate the disenfranchised classes in America. Well, I'm just angry now. That yeah. you didn't watch like, them like way to take way to take this like pure idea, right? And I like okay, I can also recognize that it's really fucking terrible, but like yeah. way to take this pure idea of something that just is unbridled freedom and just just do exactly what they're doing with our country right now with it and just fuck it up 18 ways to Sunday. It's yeah. just disgusting. Like, uh, I'm, I'm legitimately angry right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, here's the thing though. If you look at it, like the number of times 
because the, there's tons of places online where people have posted that idea of what would you do during an actual purge? Of and most people's, yeah. most people's examples are like, um, fix my iPhone without the, without Apple being able to sue me for it and uh, start collecting rainwater and design a, a communal garden in my neighborhood and things like that. Like oh, people just, really cool. tr- yeah, people just taking the moment where everything is illegal to do good things that they are just not allowed to do. Yeah. So this actually kind of leads me to my understanding of what the biggest failure of the purge movies is, is like, it's mostly just murder and sometimes like sexual assault. It's never like, Oh, scientists who are going to try experiments that would be illegal or like, like I could see, I could see actually a really interesting purge movie that goes into like, some of the moral gray area where like scientists are using this time to like run human experimentation that they wouldn't normally be able to do to try to cure a disease or get a medication pushed through uh, into production at like this factory where they're like, they spend like months getting all of the material set up. And then during the one night where it would be illegal producing this medication that uh, wouldn't normally be legal to produce by an unlicensed factory and just distributing it to people. I think those things would happen a lot more. And obviously the other terrible things would absolutely happen. But I, I think that way more people would do that than not. But oh, I, think, yeah. I think a lot of the question of this and the, some of the, the base assumptions of like what would happen in a purge go back to some of the, 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 the public idea of what base human instincts are and how kind of flawed that public perception is partially because uh, significantly because of like old, very poorly understood scientific research. <laughs> like uh, how, what is it? I, I can't remember the name of it, but there was like the Princeton experiments or something. Oh, where, yeah, yeah. The, the psychology experience where they took a bunch of people and put them in a room for a weekend. And by the end of it, it was just like a psychotic wasteland. Uh, but you can find a lot of dissections of it online where they're like, this wasn't normal people. This was a bunch of like rich trust fund Princeton brats who are used to always getting their way, suddenly being put in a room and told that they have to work together and none of them could do it. It's so funny because yeah. that's like the second time I've had that conversation in like the last week. Well, I, re- I remember um, the, my first college was uh, a trade school called Thaddeus Stevens College of Technology. And they have a very heavy fo- focus on philanthropy and uh, community enterprise. And I took part in some of their, like every year they would have an entry thing for uh, leadership programs that you could come early and go through these programs and whatnot. And it taught you skills and it was, it was a really good program, but we had a speaker the one year who was running us through, you know, your basic trust exercises and group building activities, the kind of stuff you do at like a youth retreat that seems super corny. Uh, And it was things like the human knot and things like that. And I tend to be pretty good at those because I can, I tend to be able to direct a group pretty well my voice is loud in general, so it's heard very well. Uh, and when I'm in a situation like that, outside of the rest of my life at that time, I was very confident in what I was saying, so people listened. Um, so we were all generally pretty good at what we were doing there. But he told us stories how he would, uh, his primary business was that he would run exercises like this for multinational companies. And this dude make, made like, seven, eight figures a year running group exercises like this for multinational companies. Like he made a lot of money. Oh, it's time to sign up. Uh, but what he said was the higher into a company he went and the, the more executive people he worked with, the worse they were at these simple games because they literally could not acquiesce power to each other. Mm. Uh, and I have seen that having worked in architecture myself, um, my teacher, my professor told me once about, she was designing a large, uh, like high rise office building and her clients came in 
the CEOs and the CEO, the COOs, whatever, the people at, in charge of the company for the building she was came, building came in and measured with a tape measure every single room and the placement of everything in it to ensure that they were all identical so that they, there was to be no um, perceived superiority between any of the rooms for them to fight over. Wow. Because that is the level of sociopathic hierarchy that is involved in business and other institutions like it. It's terrifying. Well, I like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys seem great. This is okay. Um, yeah, no, this is the sort of yeah. stuff I, I like to talk about and think about. Um, should we talk more about the purge? Because I, I feel like I think I, so. I feel like there's another failing of the concept, okay. uh, which is that like the idea, and like I think also by the the way that they kind of imply that it's a bunch of like fascists who put this in charge that the idea is meant to be kind of ridiculous but like part of the the idea in universe behind the purge is that this thing is like a pressure valve yeah so like once a year and it's so like yeah so there are less problems and i'm like you know if people who are actually like that uh, like in on violence get that taste of it they're not gonna stop yeah that's yes. not how psychology works yeah <laughs> that's but that's how people think psychology works oh exactly yeah a lot of people think like stress balls stress balls are terrible for you because uh if if every time you are frustrated or angry you are using a stress ball you are training yourself to psychologically react to your anger in a physical way and if you ever don't have that stress ball your body still wants to react to that anger in a physical way. And yeah. so it leads to other bursts of other outbursts of physical aggression. Yeah. I mean, that's the theory anyway. None of us are licensed to be able to say this for certain, but no, that, but that this, idea tracks this, this is my research into the subject. Again, uh, if I've never said it before, please don't believe a goddamn word that we say on this show without researching it yourself, just like our medical Pretty advice. Please just like our medical advice episode we are just well that was not a medical advice episode no but the the, uh, <laughs> the episode about why people give medical advice like Thank the you. idea that the idea that we <laughs> don't know a goddamn thing for, like in a, any professional way about the things we're talking about they are just interesting to us or we have picked it up through discourse or uh passive research please do your own research into these things try to do it responsibly please actually understand what research is when yeah, it's been pointed out to me that Colby and I like to make sweep sweeping generalizations and then never back them up with any verified information. We're just like, ah, this is probably true. You should go figure it out for yourself though. Yeah. Like, and even use the things we say as a point of reference or a guide so that you can be like, is blank true? Yeah. But don't just believe us because we could be, purposely or accidentally talking out of our asses just like anyone else i think oh, it was yeah. a good point though jesse yeah and i actually want to get back to the stress ball thing because yeah. Hit it. Um, i only took like intro to psych classes but that is a thing we went over that like physical aggressive responses to be angry kind of lead you to start doing that every time you become angry and it can be a problem yeah well um, it, um there's there's a really interesting how it could be a problem you uh, oh God! You it's internalize a it. Yeah, it's a Pavlovian uh, training for yourself. You are training yourself to respond to phys- to frustration or anger with a physical response. Yeah, but I'm saying like, what are? And you guys might not know this, Jesse. You may have no idea, but like, it's been a while. If, if your physical response is to go masturbate, it's not a terrible thing. No, but if, right? if you if you suddenly get frustrated, like in the middle of a board meeting, and, yeah, and you decide cannot... to punch somebody in the face, yeah, I get where you're going with yes, it. I was just but... saying, there's also that other side of it that, like, what you know, I who's to say which direction it might go in? It might turn into like the greatest thing ever. Uh, but but physiological of... physiological responses that don't analyze or dissect the reason behind your emotional responses just bury your emotional responses to those things and don't understand them at all and don't grow them at all. That's fair. Jesse, you were saying the idea behind. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of what I was getting to, right? The idea behind that too, is that like, if you need a physical outlet to work out frustrations, it's better to go like for a run than to like go punch a punching bag because like the running 
running is a thing that is good for you and also releases good chemicals. Like, you know, you get runners high and stuff like that. In- like endorphins and whatnot. Yeah, and it's is a positive outlet as opposed to like hitting things, which does potentially. And it, I think this is the other thing with psychology is that like it's not entirely a hard science because it is very difficult to study the human brain. Bioindividuality um, exists. Yes, Indeed. and also on top of that, like the research might be out of date at this point. It might have been out of date five minutes after my professor told me that because that's <laughs> how science works a yeah. lot of the time. Um, uh, and unfortunately deep scientific understanding can take decades and disseminating that to the public in any consistent way can take even longer because of how difficult colloquial knowledge is to tamp down. Yeah. Um, Though I think this actually leads to an interesting discussion of the purge because like if even if the purge successfully gets people to like be better the rest of the year. Yeah. That just means that they're like some of those people are waiting for the next one. Yeah. And whether or not they actually would have needed that release, quote unquote, um, for like the following year, they're more likely to just repeat the behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously a flawed idea. Now, yeah. bearing that in mind, putting yourself in that position, like in that dystopian, in that dystopian universe. Position. So what what do you see yourself doing? Uh, I'm I'm most curious to hear what Jesse has to say about this first. What what, uh, do, you, what do you see yourself doing? Sneaking, you across, sneaking across the border into a different country. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I can I can finally leave America. <laughs> oh God, that's awesome. No, actually, so then... your, your your grand ambition is to pop out of Canada. <laughs> Well, I mean, I my assumption is that I would be in the USA, United States, because okay. that's where the purge takes place. Okay, um, fair enough. But the, I guess the flaw in that is that uh, if even if the purge is happening in America, it's not necessarily happening in Canada. Exactly. Um, can, can you can you imagine? Can you imagine what the border security at Canada and Mexico is fucking like during the purge? Oh like, my god! The entire fucking military is just dream. the entire, except in reverse. It's stay the fuck in America, motherfuckers. No, yeah, no, yeah, 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 exactly. I'm just, I just meant like the forces and the defenses that they would have put yeah. up. I mean, they, they'd have. Although, although I can imagine, I can imagine that there are quite a few people who would like try to enter the United States illegally during those times. But oh uh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, but at the same time, then you would have you know roving bands of people just stalking the deserts, hoping they would run into somebody who they could assault mm-hmm. or I kill mean, or throw that, back. That kind of already happens. I, I I'm aware, <laughs> but that's but that's the problem. Yeah, but they get away with imagine, it, Jesse. Exactly. Get imagine away what it would it. be like if it was legal. Yeah, it would be. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm seeing like. <sighs> I'm seeing like taxidermy and like all kinds of terrible things yeah, happening. Yeah, dude, I I am just imagining it like a an an even more dystopian Mad Max scenario, like Ford F-150s uh, rolling coal through the Mexican the New Mexican desert. Just, oh man! Oh, terrible. Oh man! All right, so uh, so that's it. You just bounce out of the U.S. <laughs> Probably because like here here's the thing. Um, I have, I think, pretty well conditioned myself to understand that if, like, really dangerous shit went down, I am not the action movie star guy. Yeah. No, most most people aren't. Even yeah. most people who might have military training are not. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I I think that I think that uh, international plane ticket sales for the day before the purge would uh, be astronomical in that world. Yep, yeah. you're probably right about that. Though, though I think that's also very interesting, getting back to kind of the themes of the purge, where it's like a lot of it is about population control among the like the poor and the lower class, is that like those people can't necessarily afford to do that. Exactly. And it, even in the very first movie, when it's not really looking at that aspect of it, you know, it does follow a family who can af- like uh, the father is like a security expert and so he kind of makes his business off of the purge like oh yes he he outfits houses with security systems specifically for the purge so that they like lock up zombie in infestation style and they're like bunkers that cannot be infiltrated 
Uh, I mean, but but yeah. his but his their their house is infiltrated because of shenanigans. Uh, Isn't it? And like, so I watched a bu- I rewatched a bunch of these reviews yesterday. Isn't it yeah. because they like take a homeless guy in who is running from people trying to murder him? Uh, the daughter also lets her boyfriend in, and her boyfriend tries to kill the dad so that they can run away together. Uh, yeah. Great. Uh, but yeah. Way the, to that, take this. Every time you guys peel back another layer, I'm just like, ugh. But yeah, there like were so the, many opportunities, and yeah. they just keep fucking it up with like yeah. trite bullshit. But but well, the, the implication the first one is that really like, guilty of that. <laughs> I was gonna say the implication that by helping the the, the impoverished, the rich are just. Uh, leaving themselves to be taken advantage of is an unfortunately very real philosophy among people in power. Well, fuck them. Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. <clears throat> that, but, that, I mean, that that's my other answer. If we're pretending that I'm like the action hero who could actually survive the purge. Okay. I, I yeah, going to eat the rich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I will say I, for myself, I would probably, uh, be one of the people that forms into some of the patrolling militias that you see in some later movies where it's just like people banding together in these poor neighborhoods to be like we gonna watch out for each other here because we don't have anything else yeah i mean if i'm being totally honest like putting realistic current place in my life version of myself i would probably be right next to colby in that just because like I recognize that I have enough gusto and, and ego that um, I feel like I could probably take care of myself. Like, obviously we would spend time training and things like that to make sure that we aren't completely incompetent and that the good guy with the gun scenario doesn't, you know, come to come to pass. But also all I keep thinking about is like, I would want to do like, I would want to do or urban exploration yeah. And I would want to like, I'd want to go, I have this thing where I really hate being told no. Right. And, and now let me really break that down a little bit because I know how that could sound. So it, what, it, Jeremy, it means exactly what it sounds like. It does not fuck you. So, <laughs> but like the, the best example that I can give you is I've always had this issue and this followed me from the time when I was a kid, right? When you're in a building and that building has a door and that door says authorized personnel only my immediate gut reaction is fuck you. And I want to go through that door. Yeah. That's not a thing. Most people experience Jeremy. It's also funny because like a lot of the time there's nothing in actually interesting there's behind nothing that door. There, but I want to know why they don't want me in there. I have to see it. And like, who the fuck are they to tell me that I can't go through that door? Fuck them. <laughs> this like, is very telling Jeremy. I accept that. Like, I just, I want to be super clear because I realize that, that, you know, I, I may come off as creepy by saying I don't like being told no. Like, in, in context of, like, situations that require consent, I'm perfectly fine being told no and I go the other direction and that's fine with me. But, so, so I just, I just, I really wanted to address that. But, okay. like, but in, you know, when I'm in a hotel and the hotel's like authorized personnel only, I'm fucking authorized because I said I am. I'm going through that door. So, you know, <laughs> And there's, and also I just keep, and I think it's probably just because I'm really hungry right now, but I know that like, I would also want to like get my hands on some extremely good food. Oh, By like, whatever raid, means like necessary. raid, raid, uh, like a high end, uh, oh, yeah. like import grocery store or something yep. or a, a food distributor. Or just like literally just walk into any place that I want to and like, just get the food. Like, I don't know. I would probably do after maybe the first year subsequent years i would just do the most mundane shit in the world and make it a point to be just like the most unexpected thing that you would expect somebody to do like like break into a denny's and make yourself uh, a plate of pancakes and hash browns yeah and just like fucking sit there and eat them just yep. whatever oh. okay i have a different answer i okay. thought of a better answer um, <laughs> okay. so this, i would this is what we're here for i would get a job try and get a job at a grocery store okay and then try and steal as much shit from it as i could during the purge to like bring to people who might not be able to like get it usually. Oh, I yeah. love it. So you're getting like a Robin hood list. Yeah. yeah uh, and I, would, uh, I mean, oh, I would probably oh, die we, over the we course could of make, that. We could make a network like that where it's like, okay, get a connected network of people who work in like all different aspects of the retail market and be like, okay, we're going to steal all the beds we can and donate them to and get them to people who need beds. And we're going to get deep freezers from like 
furniture stores for everyone and appliance stores so that everyone can store all the food that we're going to steal from all these like shitty mid-level restaurants. Yep. And Wait, why that. are they shitty? <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of mid-level restaurants are kind of shitty. What do you mean by that? Like, like the like mid level sit down restaurants like uh, Denny's or Perkins. Oh, you mean like, like big chains yeah. that are like okay, yes, bad yeah, for not... the environment or to their employees or both. Yeah, or both. Usually, usually both. all. Usually yeah. all of the above. They they are just bad. Done. They are just bad. Bad. Uh, full stop. Yeah, but like places like that, like just get people like get a network of people involved in every one of these aspects and just like once a year outfit all of the poorest neighborhoods in america with everything that we can get them everything and, from the local costco and walmart yeah, yeah. Uh, you know this kind of segues into like plumbing I, supplies I, I, plumbing supplies so that pe- we can like fix uh damaged water networks yeah and, like once a year a bunch of construction workers get together because i know they've done that in some of the like worse cities that have like lead poisoning and uh failing infrastructure They've donated as much of their time as they can to try to fix the problems. And just I like, think, I think Flint still doesn't have clean water. Uh, and recently it's come out that there are hundreds of cities and neighborhoods that have as much as double the lead contamination as Flint. That's beautiful. But yeah, that kind of segues into the whole, I had a zombie survival plan where I was planning to take a small group of people that I trusted and invade one of the super Walmarts and lock it down give everybody like 30 seconds to decide if they're staying or leaving. Well, okay, probably longer than 30 seconds, but regardless, lock it down, zone it out, put post people in certain areas, and then uh, pool all of the resources because you could easily live inside of a super Walmart for months. A, a very long time. A very long time with between the pharmaceuticals that you would have there, the weapons, um, things that could be turned into weapons. Uh, I have a question. Yo. I'm Canadian. What is a super Walmart? So a super Walmart is basically a one-stop shop for literally everything you could possibly need to do in one place. So you can buy your clothes there. You can do your food shopping there. You can eat at probably the McDonald's. You okay, so cars or changed. This is just a Walmart in Canada. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. Well, they. So I call it a. I mean, those are probably also, according to the people who work there, considered a super Walmart okay. because they Walmart has now divided itself in between its original concept. Um, and then they upgraded to super Walmarts and now there's a secondary Walmart and I can't remember, I think it's just like Walmart grocery or something like that. It's basically a Walmart where, but you can't get your hair cut and your oil changed. Yeah. Um, well, uh, done. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, Walmart didn't used to have grocery when they added the grocery section, the Walmarts that had the groceries added were called super Walmarts. Yeah. But okay. that has, that has become so consistent that now they are just Walmart. Right. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. And and yeah. and, and they used, added on the automotive, a, and they added on the haircut, the salons, yeah. the arcades, and then yeah, all the they are banks. essentially small malls. Yeah. Okay. Everything. Yep. So that's what that is. So bearing that in mind, locking one of those places down, and just like pooling all the resources with a small team of people, you could conceivably keep a community alive for an extremely long period of time in a zombie a zombie apocalypse scenario. They they even have like gardening. And they like do. Yep. Lawn, so like you could use all of the bags of topsoil and create a small farming section, break through a bunch of the concrete and uh, that's in like the outside. Why? Fenced, just take, just take some of like the wooded areas, some of the wood that they have in there for the furniture and stuff. And you could build raised boxes and you wouldn't even have to break into the concrete. Uh, well, you would need uh, you need enough area that is outside to be able to access it, and uh, getting enough cyclical nutrients into the soil. Well, to breaking be able through to the concrete, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah well, that's that's a fair point. Um, Maybe uh, rooftop farming actually. Rooftop yeah, farming be would be better. good. It'd be uh, a lot de- more difficult for, on the... for anybody to get into if they tried to maraud the place. Yeah, which but, you would uh, have to plan for. You would have to assume. Yeah, but it's, uh, as, as, again, as an architect having that much additional weight on a roof that it isn't designed to carry could be catastrophic, especially yeah. without, yeah, uh, especially without continuous maintenance and roots are really, really devastating to any kind of construction. Those little true. bastards don't care and they will break through anything you put in their way. See, this is why concrete, I would have solid me. steel. This is why I would have you with me because <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> I, we'd have been in there for like a year or two years and all of a sudden the roof would fucking cave in and that'd be it. Yeah. That would be bad. <laughs> It'd be super bad. Yeah. So, okay. That's a lot of fun. Um, we're 
at a point now where it's probably best to bring the episode to a close, but this was a freaking blast. I'm really glad that we chose this topic to talk about. Both of y'all came in on me like a sleeper. I did no research <laughs> whatsoever. I, I honestly didn't think that Colby had watched a single film. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty certain that's what I told you, Jesse. Uh, when yep. you, that you hadn't seen it. I was like, neither have we. Well, the yeah. joke's on me. Yeah. So, so uh, my, my thing when it comes to media is that like, I am an English major, which means I have a degree that is largely useless for any sort of like making money thing. Um, but is very good about like looking at themes in a show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I also enjoy a lot of times just w- looking at analysis of different media and properties uh, to understand it. And so even with things that I haven't watched, there are some things that I know pretty well just because of my tangential experience with it. Makes sense. Yeah. Same, like same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if our listeners wanted to find you, Jesse, uh, where where should they look for you? Uh, they, I mean, first they should look... For me on Twitter at Jesse Boros, uh, Jesse is spelled with a Y. You'll see it on the episode. Um, you can also find me at DMsOfVancouver.ca. Uh, that's my podcast. Me and my co-host Sean interview DMs and GMs about running tabletop games. That is uh, awesome. I was going to at some point ask you about the actual content of your podcast because it sounded fascinating, and I love that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's. I really, if if I do say so myself, uh, I am heavily biased because it's my show and I love making it. Um, we have some very interesting episodes, and as we've gotten more experienced, I don't think we've put out like a dull episode. I think since our first twenty or so. Wow! And we're up at like sixty some odd now. That is amazing. Yeah, I would, the most I would love to, to listen to them. The most listened to episode of Magnificent Whiskers is the episode in which we discussed uh, playing D&D and the games that Colby and I have both participated in and run. So uh, this doesn't yeah. feel like an accident at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so you can find, and you can also find the show on Spotify, on iTunes, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you visit the website, if you can't find it on whatever you're using, if you visit the website, I'm sure you can pull off the RSS code and add it to uh, like whatever your podcatcher is. Um, I'm also involved in the Cave Goblin Network, as I mentioned before. You can find that at cavegoblins.ca. Let me just double check that real fast. Yeah, go for it. That's right, cavegoblins.com. Um, you can you can also find my show through there, but it also includes shows that my friends make, um, some which are interviews things, some which are uh, like competitive role-playing games, some which are fiction, uh, some which are about economics from a socialist perspective. Um, that we, my, my friends on the network make a bunch of great stuff and I am like continually envious of them. <laughs> okay, that's... Uh- fantastic place to be in my opinion you're definitely surrounded by the right people yeah Yeah, it Um, it sounds it sounds like one of the scenarios that i love to be in where i I am i i hope to not be tooting my own horn too much here but i can usually assume that i am one of the smartest people in a room in any room i walk into no i'll I'll verify that this 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 fucker's i think literally considered a genius yeah yeah Uh, i literally uh technically whatever the actual your IQ equals, is equal to or above the required level for genius uh, status. Yes. Um, right. but, but because of it, one of my favorite situations to be in is to be the dumbest person in a room. <laughs> or, it, or at least the least experienced or the least educated. I love being around people who know more than me. Yeah. I enjoy that too, but I like to add the caveat to that those people are kind. Because yes. like yes. I have been around some very unkind, very intelligent people, and like, and, and sometimes very those people are also very abusive because of that. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah, is fair. I, I like to add that caveat myself. Um, but those are uh, people I just don't like to be around in general. So exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can also find me sometimes on Thursdays at seven thirty p.m. Pacific Standard Time on uh, Cave Goblin Party Night on twitchdb.com slash cavegoblins. Um, me and the other people from the network, it's always a mixed group, uh, get on there and play some Jackbox games and have a good time. And it's usually very silly and kind of relaxing. That is so well, well, I have followed everyone linked on your Twitter, including yourself. So I'm ready for that. Excellent. All right. All right. And then if you uh, anywhere else people can find you that you want to you wanna plug in here? 
no, I think that's about it. Uh, you can find, you can also find uh, DMs of Vancouver on Twitter at dmsofvancouver.com. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, we have a Facebook page, but we don't really use it very often, so I wouldn't bother <laughs> with it. Fair enough. Uh, as always, you guys can find me at RemyX0 on Twitter, and you can follow the show at MagWisk. For joining us, Jesse, this honestly was a great time, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again uh, in the future. Yeah, uh, Montreal oh. is in the right form with the right squeak. The cheese is mozzarella onto fries with gravy and color. Same thing as beef. Yeah, though, um, if you like poutine uh, and you like folk punk music... <laughs> I would recommend the song. I think it's just called Poutine Poutine by the Dreadnoughts. That sounds wonderful. I'm looking that up immediately. Uh, and we'll, we'll, of course, be putting a link to just about everything I can find in the show notes so that you all can follow along, too. Thank you again, Jesse. Uh, I honestly had a blast, and I really appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate coming on the show. I had a great time. All right. All well, right. on that note, uh, we'll catch you guys next time.